Welcome back to Crawl Space. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm feeling a little nervous today, Tim. Usually I come in and I say I feel fantastic or I'm feeling really good. I hope everyone out there is doing well and not feeling as nervous as I'm feeling. Tim, you got some jitters going as well here. Talk to me. How are you feeling? No, no nerves over here, Lance. I'm very excited to share this conversation with our fine audience. Of course, in this episode, we spoke with Chelsea Weber-Smith of the great podcast, American Hysteria. And you see, that's why I'm feeling a little bit anxious and nervous today, because you just throw the word hysteria out there, and all of a sudden I'm looking over my shoulder, the the old head's on a swivel here, and the topics that we cover are real-life hysteria that you and I, and Chelsea, and most of our audience have probably experienced, and we revisit these things. Yeah, we really did hit a lot of subjects, didn't we, in this conversation. Uh, American Hysteria covers a lot of topics in depth on that podcast and it is really a great listen and Chelsea hosts it and yeah we were lucky enough to speak with Chelsea on Crawl Space and in all seriousness I'm not really that nervous about this episode I think you are just to let the audience they can take a step back and not be concerned for my well-being I was uh, very sarcastic it's a great conversation and the way Chelsea weaves in social stereotypes archetypes and puts that against these moments in our culture that created a hysteria, why things maybe became other things. I know that sounds vague, but she'll take real life archetypes and real life moments, even in politics, and she'll hit that against why are we afraid of clowns? Maybe it's because of this. And it's super interesting. All right, everyone, you can check out American Hysteria on social media and you can follow on your favorite podcatcher. So check it out. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And you can stay up to date with everything Chelsea has going on by going to her website, ChelseaWebersmith.com. The link will be in the show notes along with all of her social media links. I'm going to end a sentence as if I'm going to say more, but I'm not. Okay, follow us on social media at Crawlspace Podcast or Crawlspace Pod. Thanks a lot for listening. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s. Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. 
Welcome to the podcast, Chelsea of American Hysteria. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. And we're thrilled to have you on. And we're also very intrigued by your location in which you are speaking to us from. Can you describe where you're at right now? It It is very appropriate for the time of year. Yeah, I am in my closet here. I just have this red blanket behind me. It's a little shadowy in here. Uh, definitely the only place in my home that I can record. <laughs> Cord, uh, that doesn't have a weird echo uh, or a lot of background noise. So here I am. This is where the magic happens. Before we started recording, you, you specifically said it looked like you were in hell. Right, right. Yes, it does kind of look like I'm in hell. Flames licking. I, I have to disagree. <laughs> Okay, good, good. I'm glad. It's not the vibe I want to bring. It looks like a very comfortable location. Yeah, it's fine. It gets a little hot in here. That's all right. It kind of looks like a coffin to me, to be honest. Cool, cool. Because <laughs> it's w wooden sides, right? It is. That's right. Yeah, it is like a pine box. If you were to lay back with your with your hands crossed, I feel like we'd really get the visual. Yeah, it's like in the 70s when they used to do uh, weird self-actualization seminars where you would lay in a coffin for like 12 hours. Cool stuff. <laughs> Let's not do that. Let's nah, instead. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> Let's instead talk about your show, your wonderful show, American Hysteria, which is a phenomenal name. <laughs> Thank you so much. Where did you uh, come up with that name? You know, I don't remember. I was trying to think of this the other day, and I have, I mean, I have a terrible memory, but, you know, the show's inspiration came from Carl Jung's book on UFOs, which is very funny. He really kind of gets into the UFO phenomenon and how it relates to like the psychological consequences of World War II on Americans. And this this idea of hysteria um, can kind of apply to so many different things that, you know, I felt like I could cover urban legends and I felt like I could cover conspiracy theories and mass contagions and all that kind of stuff. The word itself, hysteria, of course, is very loaded, um, but I thought it would be fun to kind of take that back a little bit and uh, just explore all of the various ways that we can be quote unquote hysterical while trying to be funny as well. <laughs> well, uh, your bio here says you are a poet turned podcaster. Can you tell us a little bit about your life before becoming a podcaster? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's actually a good way to think about American hysteria because the sounds are there too. And obviously like history and everything, but there's some, I like the way it sounds is a big part of it. I got an MFA a master's in poetry from the University of Virginia back in 2013, I think. Yeah, my background has always been kind of in words and in writing, and I found kind of American hysteria to be an interesting transition because you're still, it's still obviously writing based and you can use poetics to tell a story and to be affecting. It's also poetry is very much like a cyclical art form or it can be where you're saying a lot of things and then you're trying to kind of bring it together and have a larger theme happening in a larger conversation. And I don't know, I found something really similar in working with metaphor and the way that these like pan and hysterias and urban legends are actually just these metaphors that we kind of all buy into because they're expressing something about the culture. So they felt kind of naturally connected to me, which is really 
fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Do you still write poetry? I do. Not as much as I would like to, but there are times uh, and I would like to get back into it for sure. I've been working on these horror movie poems uh, for a long time and we're thinking about, I'm thinking about forcing everyone to listen to poems on American Hysteria, so we'll see if it happens. Horror movie poems. We need to explore this a little (laughs) bit deeper. Sure, sure. How did you think of this and what horror movies are you featuring? I feel like I don't often think of things. They just kind of happen. So I probably, I think I started by writing a poem about my favorite horror movie, which is the 1990 It from Stephen King. Favorite horror movie, um, cheesy as hell, and I love it, and I love Tim Curry. And so I have a very emotional connection to that movie, so I thought, okay, I'm going to take this thing and just kind of see what happens and see what comes out. They're not funny poems. <laughs> they're, they're you know, they're using horror movies to say other things. I use, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Ring, Scream, Final Destination. I'm a big 90s. I'm a 90s horror fan. So it may or may not see the light of day. Love those movies. Well, that's great. Little known fact, Tim is also a budding poet as well. And he wrote a uh, slam poem about Mothman recently. Oh, my God. Where can I where can I experience this? Uh, Just on our crawlspace TikTok. Great. Pretty much. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm there. Cool. Yep. It's uh it was it was pretty deep. I imagine. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> it ran the spectrum of all emotions. Oh, I'm sure, as Mothman does. Now, is Mothman a topic that you've covered on American Hysteria or will cover? You know, we haven't covered Mothman. We haven't covered a ton of cryptids. We did like a, a monsters episode that covered a lot of American monsters, but it was kind of in a very specific political context and how the idea of the monstrous has been used to demonize already disenfranchised groups. And so we didn't get into like the nitty gritty, but I did work with, uh, do you guys know Euphemet, the podcast? Oh yeah. With Jim Perry. Yeah. So I got my podcasting start partially by working with Jim um, as an assistant producer and, and going to a couple spots with him that included like a Bigfoot hunter that we got to interview and hang out with and go into the woods with. So I think more my cryptid experience comes from working with Euphemet. But I would like to do cryptids for sure in the future. It hasn't caught my interest in the way that other things have, but I bet that I'll find something that really grabs me. And Mothman, I know, is very uh, rich, and I should really be more informed. You brought up a interesting concept of the term monster, and we recently were speaking about this. We should stop doing that because we hardly ever call people evil because Mm -hmm. that just gives like this idea that they're like a supernatural character or something it doesn't takes a human element out and I feel the same way with monster but I used to say it all the time and I'm trying to like phase myself out of it I mean when you're talking about say a child molester it's tough to not call that person a monster Sure. But you're so right like those terms are just used to debase legit things Yeah, dehumanize probably, right? Turn somebody into a non-human. And when we're turning people into something other than human, usually lower than human, you can justify doing a lot of really bad things and you can justify not trying to deal with the root causes of whatever has caused this person to act in a monstrous way, maybe is a better way to say it. So I think it's a great way to make a villain and then say, that's the villain, that's the bad thing. Um, There's no hope. We're not going to address the underlying causes. We're just going to say, stay away from that person. They are the embodiment of everything that's wrong in this world, and they will hurt you, and they'll hurt your kids. They'll do all these different things. But to me, those types of behaviors are 
most often the result of failures of the system and our leaders and our different types of uh, industries, organizations and, the you know, different things that if we did a address, we might be able to actually reduce some of those behaviors that we've deemed as monstrous. But we don't like to do that as much as we like to create sensational villains. Anyone not watching on YouTube needs to know that I'm basically a bobblehead right now because I'm agreeing <laughs> yeah. with you so much. My, <laughs> my head is just like wobbling up, <laughs> up and down right now. Well and said. I love you well have our, our logo behind you, which I love. And your head is like exactly in the apple of our logo. It's, yeah, it looks it's like perfect. the hand is holding my head. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. <laughs> Your logo is awesome, and you put the apple there with the razor blade inside of it. And that is, I think, in, I guess, recent memory for me, one of the first, like, pop culture pieces of hysteria that I can associate with, you know, Halloween razor blade and an apple. That's where you're, you're coming from, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, we just uh, a couple of days ago put out a re-release of our Poison Halloween candy episode talking about rainbow fentanyl and how it's coming back again, the same story. And I think that... The razor blade in the apple is a great image because there's something about it that also expresses, again, kind of a, a metaphor of America and this like wholesome apple that we have here and the things that are kind of hidden within that American milieu or whatever you want to call it. It's what's hidden inside of what it means to be an American. So I think it's kind of it kind of works on two levels. And then we also have our uh, rings on the hand there representing both uh, Satanism and the Illuminati. So uh, <laughs> you got to count those in there. So yeah, it's uh, definitely feels very suiting. Brothers Design Co. is who did this design we love so much. And I'm excited for Halloween to uh, to get some handouts of rainbow fentanyl. Yeah. I'll just be going around with my bags and with and my kids and hoping to get several tablets of rainbow fentanyl. Free drugs. That's what drug dealers do is give out free drugs. <laughs> right. And and that's the point that, that you were making in your episode is like, it uh, doesn't really make any logical sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any logical sense and it never has. But, you know, I mean, in our show, we don't like to ever punch down even if we don't like what people are saying who are disempowered in this country we like to only punch up we don't really like to punch to the side as much but we like to punch up and so I've kind of transformed this a little bit as I'm going but I don't really like to make fun of people who fall for urban legends and moral panics because they're kind of designed that way and they're designed to scare you and they're designed to especially make you afraid of the children, right? Somebody help the children, save the children. Won't somebody think of the children? We don't like to make fun of people who fall for this kind of stuff because a lot of times there are good reasons. Like the original Halloween panic around candy was after a child did die uh, of being poisoned by pixie sticks, but it turned out that it was his own father doing it for insurance money, right? So it took a while for that story to be corrected. And anytime a story is corrected in the news, they often don't do it as hard as they push the urban legend or the false news, whatever you want to say. So it just kind of fell into our psychology. And then we had things like the Tylenol murders. I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever covered the Tylenol murders? We haven't personally covered it, but yeah. They're reopening that case as well, which is really interesting, I heard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wild. So you know, that happens where people are actually being poisoned by cyanide that someone put into Tylenol bottles randomly in a store. 
it happened, right? So it's like, that is so scary. And it happened to come close to Halloween. And, you know, these things just keep happening. And then they, there are hoaxes every year of teenagers and kids being like, Mom, Dad, I found, you know, and then you find out later, you know, the parent freaks out, posts it on Facebook. Later, it's found out to be a hoax or it's found out to be a parent who wants attention. And again, it's like we can't say for certain that nobody's ever done this. I would never say that. But there's not any good evidence to say that anybody has ever died from a stranger handing out candy. That's where we are and it'll continue to happen. It was weed last year. It's fentanyl this year. And uh, I'm sure it'll be something else next year. Well, I want to go to the neighborhood where they're handing out weed. Yeah, me too. (laughs) What about clowns? Uh, we spoke a little bit about Stephen King's It. That movie, the re-release, or I guess the remake, helped to bring on some clown sightings. What did you uh, learn when you looked into that? I want to shout out Benjamin Radford, the folklorist, who um, I bet you guys are familiar with in some way, or at least his work. He was kind of did the original, the only true original uh, research and kind of cataloging of the first phantom clown panic. He called them phantom clowns. Some people call them killer clowns. The full-blown panic that happened in the 1980s that was all over the country. Kids were saying clowns were basically inviting them into vans. This was coming right with the stranger danger panic of, you know, stranger offering you candy, get in the van. Suddenly it's clowns, right? And and, and cops are pulling over all these birthday clowns <laughs> and not finding anything nefarious. I remember that there was a strangely large amount of birthday clowns out at this time when the cops were pulling them over. But maybe that was just confirmation bias. You know, come what it, what was it, 2015, 2016, 17, in that kind of general vicinity, we had like the second clown panic. You know, there are lots of theories about why these panics come up when they do. I think it's very interesting that they happened first right around Ronald Reagan's election and second right around Donald Trump's election. Both very clownish looking individuals. We won't say anything about their behavior, but they both look like clownish, right? They both, you know, Reagan had the red cheeks and the sort of like wooden doll look and uh and trump obviously has basically a a direct clown look so (laughs) there's you know the 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 fun underlying psychological things like is this expressing some fear where children are hearing you know these horror stories about this president and then he it's starting to express itself in these different ways you heard people call trump a clown constantly again and again and again and so i don't know i find it interesting but i don't necessarily that that's why. I think that we like to examine all the possibilities, uh, the psychological reasons, sociological reasons. But then again, it's like kids just like to spread stories. And who's not going to want to spread a story about a clown inviting them into the woods, offering them money, which is a fun change from candy (laughs) from the 80s now. Then it was uh, money. So clowns were offering money. Interesting. Interesting. You know, there are so many reasons that this could have happened, but regardless, it did happen that there were so many alleged sightings and parents on the news, and the interviews are just hysterical on the news. You can listen to them in our episode. (laughs) We put a lot in there. I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up in elementary school, we had a story about a local guy who attacked these two girls in the woods in the park, and they had to jump this fence and run away, and it was like all of us were forced to stay inside, and there were letters that went home, and it all turned out to be because these two girls didn't want to get in trouble for being late. You know, the guy had a scar across his face. It was a 
the whole thing. But I remember so well adding to this story and being like, oh, yeah, I saw him. I definitely saw him. He was carrying groceries in my neighborhood. It was just some guy carrying groceries in my neighborhood. But, I, you know, so I think urban legends just spread because they're fun and they are enjoyable and sensational and they teach kids something about being safe, maybe, or something about the culture they're heading into, maybe. But phantom clowns, when will they return? I think I've heard TikTok is now saying that the phantom clowns were definitely real. And I'm probably going to get called out for saying the phantom clowns are not real. We'll see. As an expert in all things hysteria, is it a good idea, hypothetically speaking, if I dress like a clown and went around my neighborhood at night and was contributing to the clown sightings. Is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? You know, I say have fun with it (laughs) because I really respect people who commit to the bit. I really respect juggalos Mm -hmm. for that reason because I'm like, (laughs) you stuck to it. You are living it. I love it. Last year, my partner and I dressed as clowns for our trick-or-treaters and tried to do a whole kind of like mystique and had like music and our skeleton swinging on our swing and and you know the teenagers that came to the door there were like five or six people that ended up trick-or-treating and just looked at us like we were just losers and (laughs) I felt like a loser we were trying to like keep it going keep it alive because of all the the hysterias out there I'd say the only negative is that it contributes to like stranger danger panics and things like that but we don't get a lot of fun stuff in this world do we No, we sure don't. And it's a great (laughs) observation to actually identify that some of these things can be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would say that in my particular neighborhood, it'd be a bad idea for me to dress up like a clown. I think there'd be a lot of... For your safety. For my own safety, yes. Well, one of the things that happened in 2016 or 20... Sorry, I can't remember. 2016, I think, was that adults who had heard that there were clowns in this abandoned building in the woods from their children just started shooting their guns into the woods and someone got (laughs) stabbed because they had a clown mask on. I mean, it was like the problem with the panic was not the clowns. It was the reaction to what people thought were the clowns. So maybe that can teach us something. One of my best friends from high school, his father used to be a birthday party clown on the side. So he would dress up like a clown. And this was back in like the early 90s, mid 90s. And it was fine. Kind of a fun thing that his dad was a clown and he knew all sorts of cheesy uh, magic tricks and he could do balloon animals. But now if he were to say, you know, I think I'm going to do some clowning on the side for birthday parties. It's a whole different feeling. We would have to tell him to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least tell them you're not going to get the reaction you want. I mean, clowning's over, I feel like. It's over. It's over. Even if it wasn't scary, I mean, they're not going to compete with like, I don't know. What's the thing where the kids, they build with the blocks? Mind Uh, craft. Mind craft. (laughs) I said Jenga. What am I? I could have said Legos. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I said Jenga. That's all right. I don't know. I mean, I said I was going to say mind freak uh, and that was wrong. So (laughs) that's a different conversation. (laughs) Could be at some birthday parties. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. I mean, I would go. Tell me your question again. You're going to get this from me. It was just an observation. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's over. And I I do think it was a uh, nail in the coffin for sure. But it wasn't the it wasn't the starting point. It was something that had been coming, I think, you know, because you look back at Bozo, Ronald McDonald, very scary, very scary in retrospect. 
like Bozo had a 10 year waiting list. Kids wanted to see Bozo so, so, so bad. And I do think part of this is the thing of like when a thing becomes kind of popular as a trend, became trendy, like can't sleep, clowns will eat me, kind of 90s Bart Simpson novelty T-shirt. There was just a time where it became a hot topic kind of fun thing to say is like, oh, I'm terrified of clowns. And then I think that that spread and and people who were previously not necessarily scared of clowns <laughs> started to say, you know, I, I think I'm scared of clowns. So I don't know how much of it is that, but it's it's always a mix of of forces that come together and, and there's no way to pick them apart at all. Also, I would add uh, John Wayne Gacy. God, how did I even miss that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Having dressed as a clown. I think that did some some real damage probably to that whole uh, panic. Oh, yeah, I'd say that's probably I can't believe I didn't even mention that because that is probably the number one factor is how the media treated the John Wayne Gacy case. I mean, how could they not focus on the clown angle? Yeah, that was always going to be what it was. I feel like Stephen King gets a bad rap because people will often attribute Pennywise to the whole bad image for clowns, the evil clowns. And no, it was John Wayne Gacy by a long shot. The mass murderer. Yeah. The 30 something bodies under his. Yes. In his crawl space. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. We do get some free press when we talk about John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, some plugs anytime we talk about Gacy. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Aliens are kind of coming back around into the pop culture mainstream. Obviously, dressed as clowns, uh, <laughs> UFOs sort of had a a big craze back in the fifties. I see that you've covered alien abductions. Can you tell us what you've learned about this peek down the rabbit hole? Our series really focused on the part of alien abduction around recovered memory, which is something we cover in the Satanic Panic, and the way that a lot of these alien abduction stories will come out of a therapist who's helping you recall what happened at this time that you believe something happened. Memory is a very complicated thing and a very imperfect thing. And I don't know about you guys, but someone can tell me, oh, do you remember this? And I'm like, oh, 100%, I remember that. And then later I'm like, I wasn't there. I don't remember that. So there's just something about the ways that people who already believe in these types of things are able to manifest memories. That being said, I will never say that nobody's been abducted by aliens. That is not what I'm here to do. I don't want to be a debunker. I call myself a flexible skeptic. Debunking would imply that I have some idea of an ultimate truth, which I do not. I am interested in how memory works and and how sleep paralysis might be the source of so much of what we consider to be paranormal and how we can take this like thing that we have. Like you have a sleep paralysis memory. You remember some sort of being 
in your bed sitting on your chest the old hag story that comes back again and again for people and then you're able to take this trauma that you experience because sleep paralysis is very traumatic um, that you maybe don't fully remember you go you start reading about alien abduction you say okay i'm gonna look at the back of this book it's John Mack, maybe, or somebody like that. And you say, OK, I love John Mack, by the way. Um, you say, I'm going to uh, go to this person who's going to help me figure out what happened. And, you know, it's pretty hard. And I think John Mack is the one who did the best job trying to to keep that control group. It's really difficult to keep a control group, especially when someone's already thinking, OK, this is probably an alien thing. You're remembering it. You're able to come up with these things that happened to you and recall them. You Maybe you're going to a support group that helps you remember more things. And again, this stuff is sticky territory because I would never be here to, to, to say somebody's experience didn't happen. That's not interesting to me, but I think that it's worth wondering where these stories are coming from. And UFOs are a whole different story from fully being abducted and experimented on. And I think UFOs, obviously, there's a lot going on there that we'll probably find out in the next, in the coming decades. I love the conversation because you touched on so many things that we find interesting here. I'm fascinated with things like the Mandela effect, where you're absolutely positive something happened and then you're told it wasn't like that at all and um it happens in these big mass waves like it's not just you thinking this i'm yeah. totally fascinated by that and then sleep paralysis is just absolutely one of the most like living terrifying things oh that i would ever think would happen to somebody i know without actually like ending their life so scary i've never had it happen and i that's why like mad respect to anybody trying to figure out their sleep paralysis or something that happened in the night because i don't know how i would handle that at all i was uh having a conversation with my family and one of my family members well we were talking about um documentaries and i mentioned and we talk about all the time the documentary the nightmare which is amazing super scary yes i have seen that i watched it for that episode uh i gotta get back on track um Okay. Your your door opened and it says I know <laughs> as we're talking because I'm it. so hot in here. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> I, 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 it like freaked me out. Okay. Yeah, it was scary. You can't see my hand pushing it, so it looks like that. <laughs> I know, right? All right? We might leave that in the episode. Perfect. <laughs> so we were talking about this, and I mentioned the nightmare, and I explained it, and one of my family members was like, "Oh my god, that happened to me!" Whoa. About five or six years ago, and she woke up in her bedroom, and somebody's hand was on her head, Oof. and she could see them in khaki pants, and she couldn't look up because the hand was holding her down, but not in an aggressive way, just like in a holding, like hold steady type way. And she was absolutely convinced that somebody had broken into her house and was holding her down, and then uh, she was like, and then it just kind of like she woke up. When she was explaining this, she was getting like choked up because of how scary it was. And she was like, I've never told anybody that. And I'm probably oh. going to have to get permission from her to, <laughs> to, yeah. to like make sure that I told this story. I think she was just like confused and didn't know how to tell somebody that. Yeah. And I mean, the scariest part is the khakis. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying to make a khakis joke, too. <laughs> I know. Right. It was it was just hanging there as low hanging fruit. <laughs> well but I mean, how specific and weird. It's very weird that it's it's like Terrifying. there is something scary about that because it's so much more you know real than than some kind of monstrous being holding you down. But yeah, that is 
oh, I I much sympathy to anyone out there that experiences this. Uh, and I know there are some ways that you get help. There's like, I don't know. It's some people have it every night. I don't know how. I just don't know. I don't know. Very scary. I was like, who do you know who wears khakis? And she's yeah, like, nobody. Is this? Like, I would never associate myself with anyone who wears khakis. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> She's never had it again. Even talking about it makes me nervous because it feels like yeah. I'm gonna like it's gonna be contagious on me. And I mean, I've heard that that's that has happened yes. before. So yes, let's move on. Let's <laughs> yeah, move let's on. move on. Let's move on. Don't that think about it, it too much, people. Yeah. Now, what what's been your favorite cultural moment to uh, to cover on American Hysteria? Wow, hmm, that's a really hard question for me. I mean. I think the clown, Phantom Clowns, is one of my very favorites. We do kind of different things, right? Like, we, we'll have a pretty serious episode, um, and then we'll have something that's a little bit more, as we call it, like, popcorn or, like, candy content. Like, clowns uh, versus something like Rednecks, which I think is another favorite episode that we've done because I really, really, really think there's value in demystifying this evil monstrous character that we've created in America known as the redneck, uh, the real racist, sort of the Appalachian incest bait. You know, it's it's this really gross stereotype. We've just decided that this is okay. We've just decided that like we can demonize a group of people who are, you know, who would be systemically disenfranchised and historically disenfranchised uh, and turn them into like, quote unquote, the real, you know, people who are ruining this country with their racism and their, you know, uncouth behavior and demystifying that taking the horror movies looking at the hills have eyes and deliverance yeah i think that i'm proud of that i'm proud of that episode and proud of the conversations that people were having through that i would say that that's another one of my favorites in kind of the other category of wanting to do something a little bit more serious when you're talking about a subject matter like that and you think about rednecks like where does that thought process even start yeah i mean we did hipsters as well we kind of did yeah. we wanted to do sort of an, an oppositional forces <laughs> i would say that those are oppositional forces um it's really really hard because there's just a moment that it happens and then i don't really remember that moment and and i think with something like rednecks it's like i grew up my grandpa was from North Dakota, grew up in like a dirt floor house. And it's just like it's always rubbed me the wrong way when people are making fun of or blaming people who are already extremely disenfranchised. Right. So that season we were kind of doing archetypes. Right. So we were breaking down these American archetypes as much as possible. And uh, what will usually happen is I'll be researching for a topic and I'll come across something and say, oh, that's another full topic we can do. And like in the case of hipsters, I kind of think it came from learning that Ralph Waldo Emerson was um, like a middle class person who ended up moving and living among a group of formerly enslaved people and living kind of in this community and in this like dingy house, just kind of like living as a, a little bit of a poser, right? Which is certainly what I am. And that's part of the episode is that I came from a middle class family college student who would hitchhike every summer, which again is kind of a, a classic American hipster on the road thing. I want to kind of break down my own bullshit as well, uh, because I think it helps other people break down their own bullshit if you can be like I'm this I don't want to be like this I want to explore why I'm like this I want to explore like damages I may have done or narratives I might have promoted I mean I was a, I used to be a conspiracy theorist that's part of the show so a lot of it is is trying to hold myself accountable which leads me to different topics that I want to explore that maybe I was fooled by 
at some point because I think we were all fooled by most of these at some point, you know. Stranger Danger, Poison Halloween Candy, Panics Around Drugs. Like, these are things like crack babies. These are things that are just like welfare queens. <laughs> these are archetypes and things that are in our culture that we all can be duped by very easily. I'm trying to not be condescending ever. And I don't know if that answers your question. It's a little bit of a roundabout answer there. It just comes to me and I go down the rabbit hole as like as deep as I can. Uh, and a lot of times I'll just find a little piece in that that I just decide I want to form something around entirely and just have that anchor. That perfectly answers the question. And it also opens up more of the humanity, the humanness behind it, because you said that you're a former conspiracy theorist. And then you're talking about all of those archetypes that happen in our culture. And you have to have a balance, right, of who you are. So when you said conspiracy theorists, it clicked in my head like, well, everybody's got a thought about something that's happened. You can't fully not be a conspiracy theorist because some of those conspiracies are correct. Absolutely. Being a conspiracy theory debunker does not mean trusting the government or trusting corporations ever under any circumstances. Like, I think conspiracy theories do exist. The FBI committed serious conspiracies against the Black Panthers. Like, these things do happen, but... Uh, You have to kind of really, really, really dig to figure out what's true and what's not. And a lot of times we don't know for decades. And it's also the approach and the delivery in which you broadcast your opinion on it and your theory. So you have conspiracies and then you have theories and you have conspiracy theories. And you can't just aggressively in a bar you know, start yelling about the Kennedy assassination. And I mean, I used to talk to people in bars about the Illuminati. You know, I I was definitely in the era of conspiracy theorists that came with the Bush administration. (laughs) I was like a big anti-war activist at the time. Post 9-11 was a very um, chaotic time. And there was a lot of stories and a lot of wormholes you could fall down and a lot less attempts to combat any kind of misinformation. I don't think that you can shame somebody into changing in a genuine way. I think that there is power in shame. I don't actually think that you, like, I think that shame is an important element of change. But I also think if you want to actually create, like, a lasting solidarity with someone or you want to actually help them get out of this conspiratorial thinking, it's just you have to come from a place of understanding and empathy and come from a place that says, okay, like this person is suffering. Like there's no other reason. That doesn't mean that they're worse off than somebody else. That does It just means like everybody's suffering and a lot of people don't have the ability to seek help in other ways or have the emotional connections with other people that might uh, demystify what they consider monstrous individuals. And so I think, uh, yeah, when it comes to conspiracy theories, kind of the last thing I want to do is make people villains for believing the narratives that are making people rich in the media and in uh, government. And, you know, then I start to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, fear sells. So that's where we're at. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And I think it's been ramping up for a long time. You mentioned that right after 9-11, it was a chaotic time. But I feel like it's just increasing. I didn't know we are going to talk about this, but I forgot the name of the doctor who invented shock therapy. And oh. yeah, it was, yeah, I don't it remember. was, it was referenced in the... Oh, yes, it was Dr. Good one, good one. (laughs) It was referenced from some conspiracy theorists using it as, 
an example of when you shock somebody to the point where they'll believe anything, that's sort of what 9-11 was. And I don't mm-hmm. think that people were saying that it was done intentionally to shock people, but that was a form of like cultural shock therapy. So after that, there was a period of time where you could have said anything to anybody about anything about that. And then everything following that is easier to comprehend or easier to sell. You know, the, the same stories that were told then are repeating themselves just in a new package, right? It's like this group of people that control the world, insert whomever that may be, whereas there are a group of people that control the world, but that's it's not exactly the same as like a blood drinking cabal, which in itself is an anti-Semitic term in case people don't know that. It's uh, not a great term to use even when you're debunking something. These conspiracy theories, which, you know, at the time this was more of a, a liberal conspiracy, um, even though Alex Jones was already on this back then. That's a whole other thing. He, this is when he was like bursting into Bohemian Grove and crazy stuff. Different time. So this idea it just keeps repeating itself where there's a group that controls the world, there's a group that controls everything that's happening, but in a much more structured way than would ever be possible. And it gives like a lot of credit <laughs> to our world leaders for getting away with such fantastical schemes of control. Whereas uh, I think that you can just kind of look at these moments in time as like a lot of chaos and a lot of power grabs by different people. And it, it's just not, it's not that different. It's like the horseshoe effect where both sides of something can like meet in the same the same camp eventually and it kind of becomes the same story yeah the illuminati the deep state all of those different things are uh expressions that have been around forever uh that really help us feel and i think this is important is that like conspiracy theories help people feel like there's structure and they're there is at least (laughs) there's enough structure for there to be this enemy that we can fight like if we just defeat the illuminati all of our problems are solved versus like well if we address healthcare and we address poverty and we address all these things that like are really hard and really complicated and almost impossible to like even break into or imagine how to even start that process that if you're fighting against like if you're fighting a spiritual war your life's way more exciting you are um, a hero in your story which feels great you know being a hero to yourself feels awesome and being a part of something heroic feels awesome and so you just get this thing that grows out of a genuine need of people in in just such chaotic times to say okay like even if the people who are evil are in control someone's in control and there's like a possibility of controlling the situation well said it really does make a lot of sense and recently we watched the victoria's secret documentary we went into it thinking that this was going to be an interesting account of how that company was founded and the success. And all of a sudden it became about Jeffrey Epstein and his uh, sex island and using the pink product line to basically like recruit underage girls. Disgusted by it. Yeah, just baffling. Yeah. You had said there are people that are controlling things. And then you find out, yeah, there are. Like, this actually happened. And then when he's arrested, I had to look up who he was. Like, I didn't know who he was when he was arrested. And then you find out he was behind so much and so many powerful people. You know, a lot of times they're like, well, one person can't change the world. And I'm like, oh, yes, they can. When I think of conspiracy, I think of someone like Edward Bernays, who was in the 1920s. He started basically PR because the 20s is when we started to really want to buy shit and define 
our personalities by what we buy, which we still do. A very Fight Clubian thing to say. (laughs) But um, he did things like uh, he wanted to sell cigarettes. And at the time, you know, women suffragettes were doing a lot of activism in the public eye. It was like a big story. It was starting to be kind of cool because the 20s, you know, you went to jazz clubs, you were flappers. Like it was a, a high living fun time uh, before <laughs> the crash happened and ruined everyone's fun. He actually hired these young women who worked for him, like secretaries and things like that, to pose as feminists and march in this parade while smoking these cigarettes. And so he linked feminism to smoking these cigarettes and it was a total secret campaign to it was a, it was a uh, what would you call it like a like a corporate psyop to get people to to want to smoke cigarettes and we cover that in our influencers episode just in case anyone wants to learn more about that that is a conspiracy because he was teaming up with the cigarette company to create a psychological manipulation to get people who were you know hopeful political activists to link smoking to feminism i mean it's wild and that it just happens again and again in history. And uh, that's a big part of why I love making the show is because you find out these things that start to make everything make sense uh, a little bit more. It's helped me learn to really question everything, even when it's uh, a painful thing to do, because we all have to do that all the time if we're expecting other people to do that. Really could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I uh, know, right? It's so interesting. Serial. <laughs> Cereal in, in uh, the American supermarkets, all there because of the space race. I mean, I thought you were going with Kellogg, with John Harvey Kellogg, that absolute oh, freak of yeah. nature. Yes, yes. Talk about a monster. But, you know, you can look into any of these brands and a lot of times we'll be like, oh, my God, like what? This is linked to the fear of children, like sexual deviancy. That's our Poison Halloween candy episode. We talk about John Harvey Kellogg. Um, but what are you talking about with the space race. I don't know if I know that. So we have an entire aisle in supermarkets that is all cereal. Other countries have like maybe a couple of shelves. And this all happened when we were in the space race back in the 50s and 60s and people were being introduced to astronauts and cereal was like a food that astronauts would eat. So it was like you ate cereal, you were the heroes, the the astronauts who are changing the world. So cereal became like a huge industry. Then it was wow. like sugared cereal and then it was like cereal with, you know, dried marshmallows. So it became like a competitive industry because of the space race because they featured cereal as like one of the foods that our heroes eat. Wow. Love that. So interesting. The John Kellogg stuff is just nightmarish. (laughs) I know. We we talked about him on one of our episodes and it was hard to talk about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the Gwyneth Paltrow of his time, but like super (laughs) deranged. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not I'm not hating on Gwen wherever you are. (laughs) Probably listening. Probably, I would imagine. Definitely. What's the uh, Halloween costume this year? Oh my God, don't ask me that. I don't know. It's horrible. We're like, how many, like two and a half weeks out? I don't know. But my best Halloween costume was L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I do. I like the, I got like the, um, the stage stuff you put on your teeth to make them look all yellow. Had a whole <laughs> ascot. I made myself a little Sea Org uh, nice. sailor outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my best costume. Maybe problematic, but it happened. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's my favorite. But I haven't, I haven't figured it out this year. I really am always dedicated to doing something in the scary realm, though. I don't really like to step out into anything other than something at least relatively 
scary or related to doesn't get much so. more scary than l ron hubbard no it doesn't <laughs> fun fun costume to be too oh maybe you could go as john kellogg <laughs> Ooh, interesting oof ah yeah what <laughs> props would you that. need for that yikes <laughs> God, probably like the book he wrote himself and probably read over and over in his room because he was such a narcissist. <laughs> Tim, what was your favorite costume that you ever donned? I was the Joker in like 1989, like right after Ooh, the cool. the Tim Burton movie came out. And uh, it was a really good makeup job uh, done by my mom. And I was, what, eight uh, at that time. So uh, I think that was my my best memory of a costume but my funniest That's though great. was was me and two of my cousins dressing up as the california raisins and Ooh. walking around with like a cheap boom box playing heard it through the grapevine on repeat <laughs> that's great i love that <laughs> that was hilarious how about you i was a garbage bag one year garbage Ooh, bag. all right that's easy <laughs> i didn't know what to, yeah i didn't know what to do and it was like a Halloween party. It was uh, when I was bartending. And what can I do real quick? And I just looked at the garbage. And I'm like, that's brilliant. So I put a garbage bag around me, took some boxes and kind of taped it all in. So it looked like I had garbage coming out of me. Perfect. <laughs> you were garbage. That's great. I was garbage. It's creative. I like that. It's a good yep. last minute costume. Yeah. I've been garbage ever since. Wow. Well, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Chelsea, what's coming up on American Hysteria? We're doing haunted dolls. For our Halloween special. Nice. So I've been in the um, haunted doll realm for quite a long time. And it's been really fun. It's been a, a very true joy to go down this rabbit hole. It's nice having a low stakes episode. Uh, always enjoy that. So, of course, you always find something where you're like, Fuck, I guess I have to talk about this complicated, screwed up part of history, even though I'm just trying to talk about haunted dolls. But what can you do? Jeffrey Epstein isn't involved in any element nope, of haunted dolls. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Probably. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, this has been really fun. I'm glad yeah, that we were able to connect and do this. This has been a lot this. of fun. I always go into so much political stuff, and I don't actually mean to. It's kind of, you can't really disentangle it. So hopefully that's that's uh, okay for your guys' show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's hard to, co to cover what you do and not run up against that at times, um, especially with the climate lately. But Chelsea, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and oh, telling us. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah, these stories and uh, about American hysteria. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was a, a lot of fun, and I always like talking to people who have such similar interests. So, yeah, thanks again, guys. Anytime uh, you want to come back, open door, like your door in your closet. Oh, perfect. Oh, I wish I made a sound. Oh, no. That would have been cooler. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll add it in post. Thank you. 